Hi, it's Todd Dammit Kearns from Slash Feature Miles Kenny and the Conspirators 2, Heroes and Monsters. You are listening to the Thunder Underground. Welcome to episode 368 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here as always. And this week we've got a great one for you because Todd Kearns is here. The bass player of Slash, the vocalist and bass player of the brand new band Heroes and Monsters, and a ton of other great stuff that Todd is involved in. We're going to talk about all that here coming up. But first, let me tell you who you're sponsored by, and that would be DEB Concerts, a promoter based right here in Tulsa that has brought tons of great acts to this area, such as Last in Line, Buck Cherry, Great White, Lita Ford, Bisto Blanco, Saxon. The list is great and long. They also started booking shows at the BOK Center, the arena here in Tulsa. Brought in acts like Megadeth, Lame of God, Poison, Tom Kiefer, Ice Cube, Snoop Dogg, and that list continues to grow, as well as the fact that they book the Roadhouse stage every year at Rocklahoma. This year will be no different. The Rocklahoma lineup announcement should be coming here in the coming weeks. Of course, we'll talk about it here like we always do. Probably have Doug Burgess back on at some point like we do every year to talk about his stage at Rocklahoma. But until then, hit up their socials, DEB Concerts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. DBConcerts.com is the website. Keep up to date on all upcoming stuff, and of course, we'll keep you up to date here as well. Sunset Tattoo is a tattoo shop located in Midtown Tulsa. Their tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed, and they are mother approved. 25 plus years of experience from Jason Thompson and his crew. If you check out the socials, Facebook and Instagram are both Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. There's tons of photos on there from their work throughout the years, all different styles. I had a tattoo done by Jason a while back. I had a cover-up actually done that I'm very happy with. I know many other people that have had work by him as well. You need to give a call or a message to set up a time to get in there to talk about what work you're looking to have done. They also accept walk-ins. So go by, hit up Sunset Tattoo, and tell them you heard about them right here on Thunder Underground. Finally, we've got Med Farm, a dispensary located in Broken Air, Oklahoma, 24683 East Highway 51, right off the highway. They've got a drive through so if you message or call ahead, you can zip right through that drive through and be on your way. You can also look up their entire selection on leafly.com before you head in, or just head in because they've got a ton of knowledgeable staff on hand to help you out with whatever you need. Hit them up on their socials because they're always running specials. Facebook, MedFarm, that's P-H-A-R-M. Instagram is MedFarmOK, and the website is MedFarmOK.com. If you tell them you heard about them on Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your first order. On top of all of that, they are cannabis with a cause. 30% of their proceeds at all times are going to build no-kill animal shelters. So hit up MedFarm, wherever you're at, it's worth the drive just for that. 30% going to no-kill animal shelters part of this whole thing alone. So, hit up Med Farm and tell them you heard about them on Thunder Underground. All right, jumping into this episode. Don't have much to talk about here beforehand because, I mean, it's not super long, but it's a pretty good lengthy one here with Todd at 45 minutes. So, before we get into that, I just want to mention that a couple of days ago, Ozzy actually announced he was officially done with touring or retiring from touring. And opposed to many musicians, you know, that say that, or we will all tend to actually believe because we all know Ozzy's condition and 
what he's been through the last few years. So this isn't like one of those, oh, farewell tour, no more tours, two or three. I'll be back here in a few years, you know, to capitalize again. You know, as we know, this was a, probably a long overdue announcement. Ozzy's had, you know, even excluding the whole situation of the pandemic, he's had a tour that has been canceled and rescheduled two or three times because of his health issues that all happened around the same time as the pandemic. But they did say that they are going to plan to try to do, you know, a show here or there. So don't be surprised to see, you know, Ozzy pop up on a major festival in Europe or even America here in the coming years or just a one-off show here or there. You know, let's let's hope it can happen because I've always taken Ozzy as one of those people that probably needs the live stage. You know, obviously he hasn't been on in a while and he's still he's still kicking along, but he just seems like one of those guys that, you know, you've always taken it like that's where, you know, he wants to be. So I imagine being away for too long without getting to do it might, you know, in a way it could be detrimental. So let's just hope that, you know, he can do a show here or there in the next few years. But besides all that, let's just jump into some Todd Kearns talk. Todd Kearns, the bass player for Slash, featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. So that would make Todd one of the Conspirators, correct? Todd, you guys need your own Facebook page. You should, like, succeed from Slash and, like, build yourself up on your own. No. That's ridiculous. But I love this band. You know, anybody that's listened to this podcast in length knows that Guns N' Roses has been my favorite band since I was a kid, and Slash is quite possibly my favorite musician of all time. Right up there somewhere with Mike Patton, you know, so. For, you know, whenever Slash started this, you know, he started that first solo album that he did. Well, he had Slash's Snake Pit, but I don't really consider that solo album, even though it kind of is, but. He did the solo album that featured vocalist on all different tracks, and Miles, of course, was on two of them. And then, you know, and then shortly after that, they announced a tour, and Miles. Kennedy came on as the vocalist for that tour, and then that's where this whole band was born. And from thenceforth, they've now had four studio albums and a live album as well with this lineup of Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators that Todd Kearns is the bass player and backing vocalist for. He also sings some songs live. I've seen him sing Dr. Alibi more than once. I believe maybe Mr. Brownstone once, if I'm remembering right. You know what you're speaking of when you think of those songs and the vocals that go with them and the style of voice. You know, Todd's voice lent very well to him when I saw him live. So whenever I heard him live, separate from that with Heroes and Monsters, and not live, excuse me, heard his voice, I was very, I don't know, the shock, just surprised, I guess would be the right word. Like, you know, how huge and high this guy's voice is. And, you know, doing this interview, you know, I've known that he's been a part of the Bruce Kulick band for a while doing live stuff. But I honestly, I hadn't seen him. I hadn't looked up videos, so I didn't realize that he was performing the Paul Stanley parts in the Bruce Kulick show. I just assumed, not just because he's a bass player, but because his voice, I thought, would lend more to Gene Simmons. But then you hear the Heroes and Monsters album, and you realize that's not the truth. So I'm jumping back and forth between all these projects here, but the... Bruce Kulick stuff, you know, is really cool to me just because this guy, it just proves, you know, how versatile 
this guy is. We've all known that he's a multi-instrumentalist, you know, guitar and bass and vocals. But the majority of us know him from playing bass for Slash. So here's with Bruce Kulick playing guitar and singing Paul Stanley songs. And now with Heroes and Monsters, he is the bass player and lead vocalist in this triple threat. Heroes and Monsters is bringing this power trio. This is a solid album. It came out here just a, a little under two weeks ago. Or it'll be two weeks ago tomorrow. January 20th, the debut album from Heroes and Monsters. You know, it's got like 10, 11 tracks, and it's just, you know, straight up pure hard rock and roll. You know, like, if you're into classic rock, Kiss, Aerosmith, all that great stuff, you'll love this. It's even got, you know, punk attitude at times. It's got melodic attitude at times. So just, you know, it's just a solid rock and roll album. You know, one of this, one of the great albums here early in the year of 2023. So if you have not heard Heroes and Monsters, check that out. If you've never seen Slash live, or in fact haven't heard any of these, Slash with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirator albums, definitely do that. I don't know where you've been living. If you're listening to a podcast about hard rock and metal, surely you have by now. And if you're just listening to this for the first time because you're a Todd Kearns fan, I welcome you as well. You know, we've got an episode coming up soon with Robin McCauley from Black Swan and, of course, the Michael Shanker Group and Macaulay Shanker Group. I bring that up because he comes up in the interview because Todd is also a part of Raiding the Rock Vault now, which Robin's been a part of for quite a while. And speaking of past episodes, well, there's not even speaking of, just mentioning past episodes... When we're talking about Slash and Guns N' Roses, Dizzy Reed of Guns N' Roses has been on this podcast before, so there's a link in for that as well. Check that out. Tons of other great episodes you can check out. More coming as well. Got some scheduled to be recorded. We'll talk about all that again when it happens. But in the meantime, let's jump into this. Here's Todd Damick Kearns of Heroes and Monsters and Slash featuring Miles and the Conspirators. funny thing about this kind of project i mean I, there i am i'm using that project word the p word so many people are like is it a project or is it a band and i'm like right. well, isn't it isn't every band a project and every project a band um <laughs> i just think with you know with this thing you know when you make a record with some friends especially considering it's you know it initially had come up during um you know lockdown and all that kind of stuff so it really sort of presented a, a giant window of time where we could do something like that and make a record that was um, for three guys who have ridiculous schedules. It was kind of like, Hey, what do you think about this? Um, you know, to me, it's all gravy at this point, you know, to be able to kind of make music and, and have people kind of um, be able to hear it and enjoy it. That's really all that matters to me. I, I you know, at, at the end of the day, it's uh, the ideas of, you know, Kiss and Aerosmith and a lot of my heroes don't even make new music anymore. So it's kind of like being able, being a lot of the opportunity to do so is, is great. I'm happy to be able to kind of continue to do, um, to just keep putting music out and see what happens, you know? How'd this all come together? I know 
it sounds like from what you just said and from what the press release sounds like this, like you said, it's an actual band that formed. I know a lot of the Frontiers things sometimes are kind of put together, but was this on your own accord kind of? Yeah, no, we, uh, I mean, although, I mean, they're so good at gathering up that guy from this and this guy from that and and, and being able to kind of do um, a full super group kind of projects, you know, this, that wasn't really the case with us. Will just reached out to me during, um, during the lockdown, but it wasn't really like, um, it wasn't really like, uh, it was probably a year into the lockdown, you know what I mean? Like, it was like, you know, we're basically not doing too much and, what do you think about getting together and well, getting together like this, like you and I are getting together, um, right. you know, especially at a time when it was like, you know, still wasn't really cool to be hanging out and all that kind of stuff or whatever. And it was sort of like, okay, well, yeah, by all means, it sounds like fun. I was, I was doing stuff with my other band Took and just keeping busy, um, keeping creative and trying to keep busy. I was very fucking lazy, frankly, because it was the, um, you know, it was the nature of things at the time. And um, so it was kind of like when someone comes at you and goes, hey, what do you think about this? You go, well, yeah, of course. I mean, considering at the time there was a a um, a great deal of chatter about how the music industry is irrevocably changed and it's never going to be back to the way it was. And touring is completely over and a lot of that kind of doomsaying was going on. But I was sort of of the mindset of like, I never really believed that. But um, at the same time, I was sort of, you know, um, conscious enough to say, well, I guess we'll just write and record. I mean, we can always do that. Right. And then, um, as it happens, we just sort of moved forward with that and, and, uh, started writing songs turn, you know, one song turns into 10 and turns into 12 and now let's put out 10 of them or whatever, you know, and here we are. How'd you guys get Steph involved with this? Well, Steph and, and Will were already like in cahoots. They were like okay. you know, initially already kind of like, um, jamming around and coming up with ideas and stuff like that and um i sort of came in in the uh you know uh, they were already a little bit up and running so um they had um will had toured with uh with steph at some point uh i'm not really sure if it was with basco rossi or what exactly they had initially sort of connected on but they they um they had uh been pals for a while so i never even actually physically met steph burns until we were in um so we were in uh, L.A. making videos for the record. So you know, we'd met like you and I are talking now, you know, wow. a bunch and sort of going over music and writing. And it sort of really opened my eyes. I had done one other project, um, a, a band called Minefield with some guys from Ace Fraley's band. And we put out a record um, completely recorded remotely and independently. And I had done a bit of that because people will send you music and ask you to play on it or ask you to, uh, you know, write some lyrics or sing a melody to it. And I go, yeah, that sounds fun. It's uh, let's do it. And then, and then, uh, but this time was sort of, uh, it became super normal and it's really normal now, to be honest, the, um, the, uh, you know, the idea of recording remotely and having stuff sent to you and sending stuff back and forth. It's not like it would have been, in the seventies or eighties when you would have boxed up a two inch tape and mail, you know, UPS it to, uh, to Italy. I mean, like w Will's in Florida, Steph's in Milan, Italy, and I'm here in, uh, in Las Vegas. So it's, yeah, it's, we never really were in the same room once. So, but we were very <laughs> conscious of trying to make it sound like a band, make it sound like a real recording. You know I mean? As opposed to just kind of like 
you know, it's, it's, it's a totally different animal, but, uh, uh, but, it, but it, it, good work can be done. It's proven. I've seen it happen. Well, you said they already, you know, it kind of got together and had some ideas formed when you came in, especially being the vocalist. Was it kind of just freedom to put your own stamp on this as well? Yeah, a bit. I mean, there was, uh, I mean, quite a lot of it. Yeah, there, I could do kind of my thing, but it was, um, there were some existing songs that they had been working on. They had up and running. There was a couple of um, Will's old band, Dark New Days. That we uh, yeah. Raw power comes from that. Um, I knew you were the devil comes from that. You know, so so there's a there was a bit. It was a bit of a free for all, really. It was really kind of like showing up at a you know a cookout or something, and just you bring the potato salad and you bring the, <laughs> the macaroni salad, and and uh, you know we just sort of like you know just kept kind of ha- hammering away. So it wasn't really like anybody was. Um, you know, you do this, I do that. It was sort of like, there was a lot of like sort of cross pollination going on and that um, made for a pretty cool record. You know, I mean, it makes for a bit of a diverse ride, which I'm kind of happy it was, you know, as opposed to just, you know, one version of, you know, or 10 versions of one song kind of thing. It's sort of like, it sort of takes a bit of a ride, which was kind of fun for me. Were any of the songs written as the three of you together? Were they all kind of piecemealed? Well, it's it, would, it was really sort of hard to do it um, together. Um, but we did do, uh, you know, quite a bit of, you know, them working on music, me working on lyrics and melody and, and my parts sort of. So in that way, yeah, we would work on it together. But it was, and a bit of this as you and I are talking, like, you know, just sort of going back and forth. But it was... Um, like I say, they had sort of had a kind of clear, not a clear idea, but an idea of what they wanted to do. And um, I guess I just sort of fit the mold as like looking for a bass player and a vocalist. So why not try and got to find a guy who can do both? And that's sort of where I fell into it. I love all the tracks on this. You know, I'm a oh, rock guy you. through and through, but the song that jumped out to me most was Angels Never Sleep. Oh, cool. Was this something, did you have a part in that or is that one of the tracks that had been around a while or how did that one come together that's such a cool song yeah it's um well that one steph brought that one in it was a a very very clever i like these kind of epicy type songs that sort of you know creep up on you you know and um it's uh i'm actually really looking forward to playing that one live uh so the uh i don't really remember exactly where it came from or what even my part would have been in it. <laughs> That's kind of the fun part of doing this sort of thing is you kind of like, it isn't until like when you're in the middle of it, it's so subjective and you're just drowning in it. And then like a year later when you're kind of, or whatever, however many months later, you're looking at it and going like, you know, it's like the, it's like a, a, a marathon you survived and you're like, Oh wow, I've totally forgot how cool this was, but I enjoy getting that objective point of view where you can kind of look at it um with new ears and new eyes and kind of go okay i kind of feel you feel so totally different about things when you get a step away from them and come back to them um but yeah i i i credit steph with most of that song that was uh that was something he brought in with uh i don't know what state of finished it was but it was um i mean we obviously do our thing and and adjust and and sort of change things to you know, meet the individual players, but uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's a great one. Did you guys self-produce this? Yes, yeah, it was. Okay. It was impossible not to, really. I mean, right. we basically had to self-produce ourselves, and then um, 
you know, there was, you know, Will actually is like really surprised me in his ability as a um, producer, mixer type minded guy in, in a, you know, because you just assume like drummers are drummers, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not as an insult, just that, you know, you know, he's just, he's a monster talent as a drummer. And then on top of that, he's a great writer. He's a great, um, it has great skills behind the board. So yeah, a lot of that, a lot of the, the, the fine tuning of it all is from Will Hunt. You've done, you know, a lot of stuff throughout your time. Do you prefer something like that where it's just kind of the band members producing this thing, or do you like outside input when it comes to having a producer on board? Yeah, it's, it's, that's actually really interesting. You bring that up because um, it depends on the situation. Like I've been in my own, you know, my own, when I'm in the driver's seat and uh, I really get a lot out of that. You know, obviously I think, uh, you know, everybody enjoys sort of like having a, a game plan in mind and then like implementing it all into, into place. But uh, that said, you know, you, you can't, you can't, you know, when I bring in people like Elvis, uh, Michael Basquette and, you know, you know, all these different people we've, we've had the opportunity to work with, they bring a lot to the table, obviously. That's why they are who they are. So and sometimes those objective ears, um, those outside ears just have a, you know, a clearer view of things because the rest of us are in there chopping away with our machetes trying to get through the jungle. And they're kind of like, they can kind of see the path sometimes. So um, it definitely is different. I will say for this project, it, you know, I really enjoyed the, 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 the freedom of just kind of like, let's just make some music. There was never really a, a, a huge kind of like game plan in place as far as like, it has to sound like this. It has to be this it has to be that. It was just kind of like, let's just make some music and see what happens. But you guys have this Italian tour coming up here next month. Can we expect to see you guys anywhere else in the world or is that in the works? Yeah. I mean, it's, or- it's one of those things where, um, you know, everybody's got schedules that are ridiculous. Right. And, um, with, uh, uh, with this kind of thing, the the window of opportunity just popped up as, hey, what do you think about this couple things in Italy that turns into 10 things in Italy? And you're like, <laughs> yeah, well, let's do it. You know, I mean, that's the only way to kind of jump into these things is kind of like, here we go. We're going to make this happen. So um, I think it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where uh, if the opportunity, I mean, I say if, but I'm sort of saying it in my mind, I'm like, absolutely, there will be other, other opportunities but in the same at the same time i'm sort of you know wise enough to know that you know hey i play with slash and miles their schedules are impossible to navigate as well you know and um so with this kind of situation it's like i don't know it's like you know with um evanescence and with vasco Rossi and then all the things that i'm doing it's sort of um you know it, it just kind of creates opportunity and also takes it away <laughs> but <laughs> but at the same time i think it 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 uh i think we'll find an opportunity to do some more stuff for sure and i'm guessing italy came about because that's where steph's at and isn't that where frontiers is based out of as well they're based out of there as yeah. well but steph kind of was the one that sort of pulled the trigger on a couple things that turned into a tour so um hats off to him for pulling that off but it was uh yeah it's a uh, you know i haven't been overseas since 2019 so to me it's like it's it's time you know it's been time for a while so you have to take into account there was some covid in there that kind of took that off the off the possibility list but here we are and i'm ready to do it like in this project and a lot of the other stuff you're doing you're singing as well as playing 
But when you're doing something like Slash, you're just most of the time you're just playing. You do backups and sing a song here or yeah. there. But is it easy for you to transition from just playing to singing as well? Or do you is it something when you're singing you got to think about it more? Or how's that work for you? That, that is funny that you bring that up because there is there are elements about um playing your parts and singing that can be quite challenging they're actually kind of they can be challenging in slash too because i'm singing you know um the lion's share of well i'm singing basically all the other vocals so um there are times where you're recording you've recorded the bass and then you sing something whatever harmony part or whatever lead vocal really and you don't really think about do these things correlate can i do this while i'm doing that and then you have to sit down and go oh man this is going to be a thing so on, on several occasions I've had to, I'm going through the heroes and monsters stuff now to get ready for the tour. And it's sort of like, Oh man, there's a bit of uh, there's a bit of head scratching to kind of do on some of these, you know, like uh, this part while I'm playing, it doesn't really jive with what I'm singing. So I have to kind of figure out how to do that. It, it takes a, a bit of, a bit of sort of uh, basically sitting in here, just kind of knocking the ideas around before I get to the rehearsal space is sort of the key. But um yeah, there's something about like, you know, in whatever, like tomorrow I'm going to go fill in for uh, Steven Adler's band. And um, I'm just playing bass on that. And it's kind of like, you know, there's something interesting about just being like, you're going to step up, play bass and don't really think about singing at all. You're kind of like, you sing Night Train, you know, whatever. You know, but you don't really think about the actual. But then as soon as you're kind of like, this is the gig you're doing, you just kind of like lean into it and, and just do it. It's sort of, that's the gig. That's what it requires, you know, so you. You just change your brain and away you go. I've been doing it for a long time. So it's sort of, it's become kind of normal to kind of like, you know, you want me just to play, you want to sing a song? Okay, great. You know, you want to sing, not sing? Okay, great. And then I'm singing the entire show. Okay, here we go. You know, it's, it's just depends on what I'm doing. Were there any songs with Heroes and Monsters or with Slash that were particularly hard to pull that off in the rehearsal space or? Well, the, uh, the song blame on the, on the new heroes and monsters stuff is tough. Like I'm, I'm having a, that sort of, uh, well, it's a crazy song to begin with. Cause it's one of those songs that those guys sort of came up with that has all kinds of, um, some sort of time changes and stuff like that. So that stuff alone is out of my wheelhouse already. And, um, but then you have to throw into the fact that, okay, now sing over top of that while you're playing that part, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. I've been playing in a, you know, on a drop B, tuning that i don't normally play in as well so the whole thing is pretty pretty new to me but i'm one of those people who enjoys the kind of uh i enjoy the uh the challenges of things you know i don't i don't i mean I, i'm sort of big on like you know when someone throws something at me i'm kind of like i've never done that before let's try that you know and that's sort of where i'm at with this particular project for sure Whose idea was it for you to sing Dr. Alibi live? Was that something you presented or did someone that was slash, slash. or whoever bring that yeah, to you? Yeah. Yeah. That was slash. Cause I think that, you know, miles has, has such a uh, beautiful voice that it was kind of like, you know, let's let Todd with his whiskey drink and cigarette smoking voice. Although I don't drink whiskey or smoke cigarettes, but, <laughs> <laughs> but man, let us make him sing it. And it was sort of like, yeah, I mean, I was the, you know, the massive, motorhead fan and, and all that stuff you know it's you know as a bass player lead vocalist lemmy is always sort of like pretty close to your heart um so it just sort of became a thing you know it was like we're we're representing that record in 2010 the solo record that he recorded and there was a couple songs like iggy pop 
has uh, we're all going to die and then and then Lemmy had uh Dr. Alibi so it was like we were just sort of doing versions of those songs and he was just like do you want to sing this and I'm like yeah sure I think we're all going to die might be first we even named the tour we're all going to die so I think it was kind of like he kind of wanted to have that out there and then when Alibi came up because Lemmy was you know often would show up and sing that song with us um and then it just sort of became part of the show that I sort of sang it and I think Miles always liked well I know he does he always likes the idea of like no 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 you sing a couple songs I'm going to go take a break and I'm like okay so suddenly it would turn into Guns N' Roses songs I'd be on the road and they'd be like do you know Out to Get Me or I'm a shell you're crazy once in a while I'd be like Welcome to the Jungle and I'd be like yeah okay you know I I just kind of know all those songs from my days of just growing up on Appetite for Destruction so I kind of (laughs) just randomly know them all right well when you listen to Heroes and Monsters your voice you know is I mean it's up there way different from what you hear from someone like Lemmy like what's which one's more natural for you um yeah i don't know that there's that's interesting you say that because it's like when i was a kid i just wanted to be like in a punk rock band i wanted to yell and shout and as you're doing that you know someone goes you know you're playing in a in a cover band and someone goes hey sing this one and okay and you sing it and then the next thing you know they're going now sing this one sing the next thing you know you're the lead singer because because you just happen to have because i just happen to be able to have a little more range to be able to pull off some of those songs that were more challenging. But, um, so I don't know what's, I, I suppose it's natural. Like my voice kind of has a natural higher timber to it, but, uh, I kind of always wanted to be more like a, like a, a shouter and a yeller kind of thing. Yeah. And then it just sort of like turns into this kind of, uh, you know, you kind of realize that you have these other gears you weren't aware of and you just kind of go to them when you, you know, when it presents itself, like I can go here, let's try that, you know, and you just start singing these higher bits and whatnot. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm again, I'm, I'm big on the challenge of like, let's try and do this and let's try and do that. So I kind of lean into it a little bit here and there. And if it, if it sounds good, I guess we just keep doing it, you know, yeah. hopefully it's a lot more challenging to pull off in a live sense. You know I mean? Okay. Like, you know, it's one thing to be, I'm, I always joke with miles. I go, why couldn't we all just sing like Dave Gahan from, Depeche Mode and just like, you know, your own. We, we could do that every day. As soon as you kind of like lean into singing like higher, you're kind of like, well, you got to take, you know, Miles lives like a monk on the road. Like he doesn't want to get a cold. He doesn't want to over, over, you know, talk too much, all that stuff. You know, it's like, it's, it's a challenge. Well, being in a band with someone with a voice like that, have many of you learned anything from him throughout the years? Like when it comes to singing? Well, I think mostly you end up learning that it's, you know, you have to take care of yourself. And I think that's the important thing with a guy like Miles is he's sort of very big on just taking care of his, uh, on taking care of his, uh, his instrument. You know what I mean? And I think that he's, uh, I don't know a lot of, I mean, like I'm, I'm a street fighter when it comes to that kind of stuff. I never, I never have any training at all. So it's like everything I do is just sort of like, you know, and I think like a lot of singers are all street fighters and then they kind of, they, face some issues and then they have to kind of think about training to kind of maintain. And, um, you know, I, I think that I've been fairly lucky in that, you know, I, I, the lead singing thing is not the only thing that I do. So it's sort of for a guy like miles, you know, I mean, he's, he's gotten smarter with it over the years too, not smarter, smarter, but he's gotten smart with it in that he sort of picks and chooses his, his moments of challenge where he kind of like, uh, in singing something, he's sort of 
kind of more controlling in how he does it. He's just not going to go out there and, and just kind of knock it out. Like every single song, he's kind of like trying to find his moments to kind of really kill it. And um, that's just smart, you know, trying to like, you know, kind of pace yourself during the course of a show and during the course of a, during the course of a, um, an album, you know, I mean, I just think it's, it's just wise. I think that's just a guy who's been doing it as long as he has. When you do these shows with Bruce Kulick, do you sing one or the other, like the Paul Stanley songs or the Simmons songs and someone else does the, like Brent Fitz, I know sings some as well. Like how's that process work? Yeah. In the Bruce show, initially we first started doing it with Bob Kulick before he passed away. And that was, I was just singing everything. So Gene and Paul, and um, then we brought in our friend Zach Throne. He plays with Ace Fraley. He plays in Corey Taylor's solo band. And Zach's an amazing talent. So he took over all the Gene Simmons stuff, and I just sing all the Paul Stanley stuff. So it's it's really fun being able to do that. I mean, I'm a Kiss fan, so it's kind of like that whole thing is is a blast. So, um, but getting to do that, you know, that show, and we we kind of wanted to get it to a point where when we had once Bob had passed away it sort of became a thing of like okay well if we do this let's try and like really do an homage to the thing we gotta the guy who sings the gene stuff i'll sing the paul stuff and then we'll um you know just really try and do a faithful you know uh, version of these homage to these songs and uh to paul to uh, bruce's era you know what I mean? and um that became kind of the focus was to try and do something faithful something you know, for the fans, really, and 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 I mean for myself as a fan as well, and to Brent and 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 Zach as well. But shouldn't the bass player be singing the Gene parts though? <laughs> yeah, but in that show, I play guitar, so it's kind oh of like, god, it's, it, it's the weirdest thing where I kind of like because you know I've always been sort of a I always I started as a bass player, but I have moved in and out of guitar positions depending on what I'm doing in my solo stuff. I played guitar. And I just kind of like, you know, enjoy the enjoy, like when I can do something a little different, I move over to um, to guitar or bass, depending on what's happening. Um, bass is really honestly my main gig. And it's sort of the thing I feel like I have the most natural. Uh, although I, 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 you know, I think I'm a very strong rhythm guitar player. And I think that's a very underutilized thing. I think that being uh, having a strong rhythm player, especially in a case with someone like Bruce, you know, who is the lead guitar player. And the weird thing about the weird thing about Zach, my friend Zach Throne, is he plays bass for Ace Fraley and plays guitar for Corey Taylor. So so we're those guys that kind of like although he's a much better guitar, he's a, a lead guitar player as well, you know. So but so he's much more skilled in that department. Um but we are those guys that will switch in and out depending on on the gig. Yeah. What are some of your favorite songs that you do with Bruce Kulik? Oh man. Well we got to do the oath from the elder which was pretty wow. dope. You know, the, yeah, I was like, you know, that's a super deep cut. Um, yeah. I really like, you know, it's like funny that some of the songs just, you know, like um, Crazy Nights was never my favorite Kiss album. It was just really slick and really overproduced to me. It's got amazing songs on it. And it's really an amazing era of, of Kiss, but it just sort of has elements about it that aren't my favorite parts of Kiss. But in doing the versions of the songs that we're doing where we, it's just a guitar rock and roll band, not, um, it doesn't have all the keyboards and all the slickness to it, you know, and suddenly songs like turn on the night really kind of, to me, 
although I always liked the song, became like a whole new, another level to me. Like, wow, this is really, I really feel like this is kind of um, really coming together as something cool, as opposed to just like this song. And I, I and honestly, I'm the kind of guy too, when we, when we play those songs, it's almost the reaction of the audience is, is the most important part. Like I kind of like, I feel like their, their reaction to it is, is, um is, is important. You know, it's like, you know, so we play some, some deep cuts. We play some really crazy stuff that, that most people wouldn't even entertain playing, but, but the kiss fans, they, you can't dig deep enough. They love it. Yeah. My favorite kiss album is revenge. I know a lot of people find saying that it's not a mask out. I mean, it, excuse me. It's an un, unmasked album, album yeah, yeah. you know, we've played, still, we've played, just... we've played that one in its entirety. We played the entire oh. album before. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, there's a lot of deep, deep deep cuts it's like you know um it, it, there's it's a strong album you know it's a really strong kiss album it's basically well outside of um carnival of souls it's really the last hurrah of the um the non-makeup kiss yeah and people yeah. love that album yeah well i know you've got these uh todd kearns and friends shows you do is that basically covers or you know what goes into that yeah, it's I've I've done a bunch of solo material in in my career, and um, being in Vegas, um, I you know I've got a a good following of people who follow what I do and a lot of my material. So, but when we do those nights, it's you know it's got a bunch of that, but then it's sort of like bringing up a friend. Like we brought up Oz Fox and did Iron Man by Black Sabbath. We brought up um, Mickey Finn. We did Feel the Shake by Jet Boy. Um, I think it's just kind of like fun to just, you know, to just bring up friends. Uh, who else was there that night? Man, it's, it's, that was a crazy, well, Brent Muscat from Fast Pussycat, he got up and we did Fast Pussycat and a bunch of songs like that. So it was really fun to be able to kind of do that. And I, I, that's the one, you know, like being in Vegas, it's like, you know, a lot of my friends are here and they all play in, in, in a lot of different things and, and do a lot of cool stuff. So it's, um, it's really uh those nights are are you know that was the last one was kind of my birthday party so that's why we kind of <laughs> everybody sort of showed up for it so it was really fun even rami from the uh, foo fighters showed up so <laughs> it was kind of it's kind of a, a wild night but we had a blast yeah well i mean it seems like when you look at you know your schedule you're always doing something is there like do you know how many shows you average a year between all your different projects you know i thought of that because zach uh, from the Bruce Kulick band. Um, he's, he sent over like his stats and I go, and I go, wow, that's crazy. And I thought, yeah, you know, I never really thought about, it. I would have to sit down and really look at a calendar or some sort of, you know, uh, schedule and look at how much I do. But I, you know, I, I'm just the kind of guy that, you know, it's, you know, there's 365 days in the year. And it's like, if I can, when someone comes at you and goes, Hey, what do you think about this? I go, you know, if, if it works in the calendar, I go, yeah, let's do it. You know, if it's, uh, if it's fun and like, like with Steven Adler and the guys, they, they reached out a while ago and were like, Hey, can you cover these couple shows for us? And I go, I look at the calendar and go, oh, yeah, I think I can. Let's do it. You know? And I, I, I did a bunch of stuff with them just post COVID. Like when, when the world kind of opened, I was filling in for them. Tanya, the bass player went on to play with white snake. And, uh, I just kind of went over there and played some shows and then got busy with slash. And that was the end of that. So, um, so that kind of stuff comes up all the time. I mean, so I, I got to do, I'm going to do it. Steven Adler. Then I'm going to Canada with my band Took for two shows. Then I go to Italy for two weeks or whatever, 10 days. Well, yes, about two weeks. 
two weeks plus a day, I think. And then I come home and then I'll be sitting in with the rock vault, raiding the rock vault here in Vegas with, you know, his guys from white snake and Dio and a bunch of different bands. And we play a show here and that's kind of what we do when we're home. It's like, you know, I, I just enjoy playing music. You know, people kind of, it's weird because people will say stuff like, Oh, I got to work on Friday. I mean, like, aren't you playing a show? <laughs> and I don't think of that as work. I go, you're not working, you're playing, you know, and that's, sort of where my head's always been at. It's like, what's, you know, we're going to play. That's going to be great. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier, like, you know, schedules when it comes to like Slash and Alter Bridge, Guns N' Roses, all that, like, does that make it tough for you to schedule stuff out? I'm sure you know way in advance, but still, is it, is it something you've got to always be on standby for? Or? Yeah, I'm well, <clears throat> the Slash, Slash stuff is, it's all encompassing. Like when, when we're making a record or doing a slash tour, it's sort of like you really, that's all you do. It's sort of, yeah. it's sort of just like, that's all you're going to be able to do. Cause it's just that kind of schedule. Um, but we know well in advance when that's sort of kind of projecting, cause they have, cause they really have to reach out to all of us because of, you know, you know, availability basically. Cause um, the fact that we've actually been able to kind of keep the same lineup for uh, well, it'll be 11 years now if, if, you know, w- with Frank and Brent and miles and slash, you know, and I, it's sort of, uh, you know, that's, that's a significant amount of time. And I think that, you know, if we can, I mean, everybody's doing other stuff. So it's, it's, you know, and, and has been doing other stuff this entire time. So the chances of, you know, it's just what you prioritize and, and people make themselves available for things that are, you know, rewarding and fun in their own way. And we've, I really love those guys. And when that call comes in, I go, yeah, let's, you know, I mean, often the call comes in, are, are you available here? It's like, no, I'm booked until here, but I'm available after this. And so we just have to kind of orchestrate everything around like everybody's availability and uh, seems to have been working out so far. Well, speaking of availability like that, have you ever been hit up for a project, you know, just like a random other band or something that you couldn't do that really just kind of hits you in the gut? Like, I wish I could do this. I know um, you probably can't say if, you know, specific no, names. No, there's yeah. there's not a lot of like, you know, <clears throat> like, ah, I wish I could do that. Yeah. Um, but there are things that come your way and you go, you know, I, that'd be great. You know, like it'd be fun to do that or, you know, uh, but, you know, A, B or C is occurring and I'm, I'm just too, you know, usually it's the Slash thing. The funny thing is, is when you play with in a situation like Slash, people kind of assume, oh, he plays with Slash. And they'll they'll see Guns N' Roses going out for like uh, you know a year, and you still get thought of as like it'd be great to call Todd, but he plays with Slash, and it's like yeah, but Todd's not out with Guns N' Roses. (laughs) So sometimes those calls, you know, you have to kind of implement those kind of calls yourself. But um, yeah, there have been a few that have come my way that I I absolutely would have done if I wasn't busy doing something else. But I don't really ever, I never really kind of went like I didn't feel like torn like. You know, it's just kind of like, no, I'm, I'm busy doing what I what I do, you know. You know, some of the stuff you mentioned, like Kiss and Guns N' Roses growing up and all this, do you ever step back and when you think of these guys like Slash or Bruce Kulik or Michael Sweet or any of these legends that you performed with, do you ever step back and think this is kind of surreal at moments or? <laughs> oh, absolutely. All the time. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys that never really lets go of the, um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm such a a lover of rock and roll that you know when when lemmy would be around or, or rick nielsen from cheap trick or you know the aerosmith guys or you know and, and kiss obviously and you know we, we played the kiss cruise and you know you're playing on stage and you look over and 
Paul Stanley's just standing side stage watching you. It's like, it's just super <laughs> surreal. You're like, what's, what's going on here? And slash too, you know, we would get on stage and you, you know, I'd played sweet child of mine in every club band and every high school, you know, when I was a kid up until, you know, until I played with him, you know, it was just like just the standard Vegas. Cause I go to a Vegas casino tonight and watch somebody play sweet child of mine. You know? yeah. And, um, played it a million times and then you're standing on stage with slash playing that song and you, you look down and you're standing in front of you playing the solo and you go that's the guy that's the <laughs> guy you know i've i've seen a million guys play this solo but this is the guy who made that solo and then that's surreal you know it, it can be certainly surreal and totally and and the first kiss concert i ever saw bruce kulik was the guitar player so i always tell that story i go look you know it's like it's surreal to have watched your favorite band for the first time ever in your life and then you know uh however many years later it's suddenly like you're playing with that guitar player and on a regular basis it's it, it's something i'm always very grateful for I, i'm not the kind of person that goes like yeah you know no big deal <laughs> you know, right. I, I i take it pretty you know i i think it's it's an amazing achievement to be able to to be playing music at all at, for a living you know and, and and zach's playing with ace fraley and i'm constantly like asking him like well, so what was that like you know it's kind of, you know because like you're, you're playing with one of the four you know it's like and you know all kinds of crazy stories, but it's you know that that's that stuff's not lost on me. I'm the kind of guy that's like, wow, that's so cool, you know. I mean, speaking of favorite guitarist, I read your post where you said that Jeff Beck was your favorite guitarist. Yeah, when, I mean, it's, what did he mean to you growing up, or like starting to play, or how did how did your love weird. for him grow about? I grew up on on like punk rock and. I loved like the Ace Fraley's and the Rick Nielsen's and and that kind of playing, you know, where the solos are like, they're a statement, but it's more like a part of the song. You know what I mean? So when you growing up as a kid, you know, being a kid in the eighties, you know, the guitar playing became a whole other thing, as you know, I mean, and, and I had a great deal of respect for guys like Van Halen or, you know, Randy Rhodes, the kind of guys who would really construct amazing pieces. But at the same time, I it got to a point, in my opinion, where just to me, I just didn't feel like just because you can play fast means you're really saying anything. So I think that, you know, it really kind of, um, it ate itself in a way, you know what I mean? But with guys like Beck, you know, um, there are so many versions of Jeff Beck. Like you talk about like the Yardbirds, when you go all the way back then, and he's a totally different guy than the guy he was you know, in more recent years. Um, but that makes sense because the guitar, the guitar as an instrument was e evolving the entire time. Guys like Clapton and Page, also both of them were in the Yardbirds, um, are the kind of guitar players that got to a point where Clapton kind of leaned into his blues thing and stayed there and clearly has grown in that area and, and, and uh, sort of, just went down that blues journey and page kind of did what he did. And now just sort of like, he didn't need to prove anything. He had accomplished what, who he was and, and, and does that. But guys like Beck to me just kind of kept growing in a way that like when the heavy metal guitar playing kind of game happened, suddenly he was with a, a Jackson and a Floyd Rose doing every bit, you know, every bit of that kind of stuff that everybody else was doing um, with just as much feel and taste. Um, but he happened to be like from the previous generation of guitar players. And then when you see him, like, like if you watch the Ronnie Scott's show, he has a show at a, uh, at a, you can find it on YouTube uh, at a place called Ronnie Scott's. 
and it's a real a real tutorial like it's the kind of thing that's both inspiring and depressing at the same time where you're like i don't even know if i play guitar <laughs> so yeah, you look at me like he's doing stuff like oh, i don't know what's happening you know it's like and it's only the kind of guys like him who who really have that ability to kind of uh think outside the box you know and i think that that's sort of the beauty of uh of guys like him. And I think that's why I say, when I say he's my favorite guitar player is because I, I actually love watching bluegrass guitar playing. Cause it's, there's something about the speed and the, the, the technicality of it, but you take away the distortion and it's suddenly like, wow. It's like you, a lot of, a lot of things that we as guitar players and, and, and musicians are doing can be kind of masked by a certain barrage of, a volume and noise that's going on. But when you scale that all away and you watch these guys really throw down country guitar playing is really awesome to me too. Like to watch guys who, who are doing stuff and they're not hiding behind a lot of um, distortion and a lot of overdrive. Um, and then watching Jeff kind of, he, he was one of those guys that sort of weaved in and out of all of that. He could play real soft stuff. He would take his slide off and suddenly be playing it as a thing down on the, it would just, I like I said, I would just be like, who thinks of this kind of stuff? Jeff Beck, that's it, yeah. Right. Well, you mentioned uh writing the rock vault. Like what's your what do you do with that? Do you sing? Do you play guitar or bass? Or I sing in that show. Yeah, it's it's oh, okay. it's it's fun for me because you know I'm a person who is doing three jobs in a sense because I don't have to uh rely just in the one position, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's <laughs> sort of like you know, if I was just a bass player, I would be working a third of the time. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, my voice is, a, I've always been a singer. So it's kind of always been one of those things that um, when I came to Vegas, I was, you know, uh, you know, my voice was sort of the the ticket. I kind of, that, that kept me sort of uh, in business. I had to, uh, you know, I, I leaned right into uh, all the positions I can do, but um, my voice sort of became the, the the ticket. And then getting the gig with Slash was sort of more like, okay, well now I'm, I'm a bass player. I ended up carrying all the other vocals because just because I could sing and or I could sing those parts, and, and that became kind of the uh, the focus. So with writing the rock ball, you're singing. You're not playing anything else. I, mean, I play guitar. I play oh, guitar okay. portion of the show, but mostly acoustic guitar stuff and whatnot. Um, it's a it's a really you know, there's like usually, well, there are three male vocalists, a female vocalist, and we all come out and sing different stuff. And it's a kind of a classic rock from the 60s up into the 80s um, is the sort of intention. So it goes from like my generation all the way to, well, Jump by Van Halen is how it ends. So so it kind of uh, covers a lot of ground. Yeah, I've had Robin McCauley on the podcast a few times. I know he was the greatest. I don't, yeah. I don't know if he's still doing that or not, but he. Yeah, he's I not currently, but yeah. he's not currently, but he's coming back uh, for uh, a, a trip we're doing together. Uh, he's one of the all-time greats. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned a few times Brent Fitz, like, and you've played with him in different projects for a long time now throughout the years. Like, what's it like having someone like that as a rhythm section you can lock in with? It's like extremely familiar. I'm sure it makes things easy. Oh yeah. I've known yeah. Brent like 30 years. Like we're both from yeah. Canada. So it's kind of like, there's sort of a more of a brother thing going on there than an actual, um, you know, just a musician thing. It's sort of an unspoken, we're both Canadian and, you know, and we've known each other a long time. So it really is an unspoken thing that occurs between, you know, the, the musicians that way. And, uh, 
it can be, um, you know, when you find the right guy, you just lock right in. So Brent and I, well, the funny thing in the, in the, in this other project we do together, this Canadian project called Tuke, Fitz plays bass and I sing and play guitar. So it's, yeah. it's a really kind of like swing from the fences kind of like, thing that because he's a musical guy on the last tour he was playing piano for rocket man he plays piano on basically or any keyboards on any of the slash records we've done oh wow and he's an incredibly talented guy you know it's just like one of those guys who's got um a lot of skills in that in in every possible way you know so luckily with him and zach and myself it's kind of like we cover a lot of instruments and a lot of voices and a lot of a lot of ground final question for you are you, are you a baseball fan at all you know i i I am, and but we're Canadian, so the Blue Jays are our only team. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I do, uh, but I do follow the LA Dodgers, and and the um, and I'm very excited about the prospect of the Las Vegas. Well, it's supposed to be the A's, so I'm I'm very curious. Yeah, that's why I was going to ask you if you were you gonna, hoping that happens. Well, not only that, but I'm I'm an NBA guy too, so I'm kind of like we're they're talk there's talk of that too. So I don't know. I mean, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, it's it's the big focus right now is on baseball. But I mean, in witnessing in real time the effect that the Golden Knights had on this city and continue to, frankly, it has been massive. You know what I mean? And it's sort of um, and then the Raiders. I mean, the Raiders is an adopted team, but it's 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 a huge deal. You know what I mean? And I still haven't seen a Raiders game, but I see the Knights a lot. And um but I'm very excited about the prospects of having a baseball team. It's changed the entire focus of this city of, of, you know, not just being gambling. Now it's gaming and shows and sports, you know, and I think that eventually we're going to have the four major food groups of sports (laughs) all within like a two or three block radius down there. I don't know where they're going to put all these things, but you know, there's talk of them being down there. So I'm, I'm quite excited. Yeah. Yeah, I read the the leading site now for the baseball stadium. If it happens, is where the Tropicana's at. Like they're yeah, having the Tropicana. Yeah, that's the word. So yeah. you know, it's the amazing thing about Vegas is there's very little. They don't treat anything very with much. You know, sort of nothing's precious. It's kind of like it's the Tropicana. <laughs> right. It's a it's a legendary spot. Blow it up. You know, right. got like, yeah, we need a baseball team. I've seen it happen a million times. I mean, we're I used to, I, when I first came down here, my friends had gigs at, at places like the Riviera and Stardust and all that, and they're just gone. And it's like, you know, these are legendary spots. Sinatra, Elvis, Liberace, they all played there. Blow them up, you know. And, um, but that's Vegas. It's in a constant state of, uh, of change. And uh, I think that this is a big part of it. The, um, the Las Vegas A's, who knows, you know. Right. We'll see. Well, what's the... NBA thing is there is there a talk of a specific team moving there or is there no no like but expansion? I've been hearing, no but I think it's it, I haven't heard anything about an expansion team but uh, expansion would be great because then it's our team but uh right. I gotta roll the lunch in a minute here but um the uh the chances of uh but everybody's been talking about and they're talking about a new a new arena too which I'm always like wouldn't you just use T-Mobile where the uh where uh the, the Knights play and they're like, yeah. no, cause Vegas wants another venue for, you know, more use of, they can put now uh, Adele's over there, and Aerosmith's over here. You know, it's like, so it's just one of those things where, you know, it's Vegas. They can, they can, they can find use for another venue for sure. And, right. um, but um, I haven't heard anything specific about the NBA, but I know it's, there's rumblings. And of course there is because 
they've seen the, the you know the the success of the Knights. The Raiders are here, a baseball team. It's just the natural progression that we we should have a, a basketball team. So, right, changes the game, changes the entire game. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, well, right on, man. I'm really digging the Heroes and Monsters album, and I appreciate you taking this time with me today. Oh, absolutely, my pleasure, brother. Thank you so much for coming out. You bet. Hanging out with me. There you go, Todd Kearns of Heroes and Monsters and Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators, among many other great acts that you heard about there during that great conversation. A huge thank you to John Freeman of Freeman Promotions for his continued support of this podcast. And of course, a massive thank you to Todd Kearns for taking some time out there to talk about everything he's got going on. This great new album from Heroes and Monsters, if you hadn't heard it, check it out. You can find it anywhere, everywhere, album stream. You can also buy it everywhere that you can buy albums. So hit up Heroes and Monsters and follow them on all the socials and all that great stuff. If this is your first time listening, there's 367 episodes previous to this one you can check out. Just recently had one with Miljinko, the vocalist of Steelheart. Also had one just last week with Justin Foley, the drummer from Killswitch Engage. Also had on members of KISS. We talked about Bruce Kulik there a bit. Bruce Kulik has been on this podcast a few years ago. That was a great one. Gene Simmons has also been on this podcast. Glenn Hughes of Deep Purple, Black Country Communion, and now the Dead Daisies has been on this podcast. Frank Hannon of Tesla has been on this podcast multiple times, four times, I believe. Damon Johnson of Brother Kane, Black Star Writers. Now Leonard Skinner has been on this podcast six times. Outside on members of Great White, Warrant, Dirty Honey, Megadeth, Testament, Helmet, Typo Negative, Clutch, Corrosion and Conformity. Man, the list is great and long. Recently had on recently had on Josie Scott, the original vocalist of Saliva. D. Snyder of Twisted Sister has been on here before. So just dig. Jeff Tate of Queensryche was on here last year. I could just keep rambling. So check them all out. HeathunderUnderground.com is where you can listen to everything. You can find all the socials there. So follow, like, subscribe, wherever you're listening to this right now. Follow, like, or subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. You can listen pretty much anywhere podcasts are heard. Spotify, SoundCloud, all those places. If you see a post on social media, like it or comment or share it. That helps out greatly. And I think that covers it for another week. Like I said earlier, Robin McCauley will be coming soon, as well as a couple others that are scheduled to be recorded. I'll talk about all those soon. All right, once again, a huge thank you to Medfarm, DEB Concerts, Sunset Tattoo, Freeman Promotions, and Todd Kearns. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>